Hebrews chapter number one, and, and again, just a little bit of review, we remember that one of the main themes that carries throughout the book of Hebrews is that Jesus Christ is better, and uh, in every way, it's really going to unpack and unfold all the different ways that Jesus Christ is better. And um, in the first three verses that we, we studied um, two weeks ago, we saw that Jesus Christ is a, a better revelation of God. And um, he's, better, he's a better revelation of God than the Old Testament prophets. He's a better revelation of God than the Old Testament sacraments or, or sacrifices and also um, than ceremonies. To kind of capture it, I was just thinking this week as I was kind of uh, preparing a little bit of a review, I was thinking of um, how can we capture this idea of Jesus Christ being a, a better revelation of God, a, a more constant, pure revelation of God, a, a more constant communication of God. And what came to mind is there's a town in Norway, and I will not try to pronounce the name of the town, but there's a town in Norway um, in which the sun never shines. Um, six months out of the year, it is completely dark there, and then the remainder of the year, there, is, there are some spurts of sun, but there is, it doesn't shine there very much. Um, there are little peaks of sun. I know, I think in Alaska as well, there's kind of that same idea. There's uh, seasons in Alaska where there isn't very much sunshine at all. And, uh, and you think about that, you think, you know, every once in a while you'll get a peak of the sun or you might see a, a ray flash through the clouds and you see that sun and you think, wow, that's really neat and I'm sure the people there really enjoy that. We here in California, we get a little bit of a different story, don't we? Now, we are surprised when there is clouds in the sky or when it's not, the sun is not shining and we get to see the sun pretty much constantly. And to me, it was a picture. It kind of captured this idea of the fact that Jesus Christ is constantly revealing to us God. And we get to see him as we see him in his word and as we communicate with him and talk to him through prayer and his word. We get to see him constantly being revealed to us. And we get to see more and more of him as we grow deeper and deeper in our relationship and our walk with him. When you think about the Old Testament ceremonies and, and sacrifices and the Old Testament prophets, what you get is you get a little peek. You get to see that sun shining through here and there, but it's, but it's not constant. And it's like once a day they have to go and they make a sacrifice and they get a, a little peek at what God is like. And once a year they make a bigger sacrifice and they get a, a bigger peek at what God is like. But we get the full expression of God in the person of Jesus Christ. We, we get to see God fully. And that's why he says in the first few verses here that he is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature. In other words, when we see Christ, back in John 14, he says, when you see Christ, you have seen the Father because they are one and the same. So we have this, we have this, um, this revelation, this constant, consistent revelation of God. And we never exhaust it either. And the neat thing about growing to know God is you never exhaust the knowledge of God. Um, every day that you dig deeper to know God, the more you discover about him, the more of a blessing it is to see the depths of the riches of his grace, of his, of his mercy, of his kindness, of his goodness. And you never exhaust those things. You can, you can dig deep and dig deeper and dig deeper and you, you find more and more treasures because you're finding out about who God is. 
And he is wonderful, and he is amazing, and he is the uh, full expression, the full revelation of God's holy character and God's holy nature. And we get to see him fully in Jesus Christ. So he is a, a better revelation, mentioned again in the first three verses. He is a better revelation of God. We get to see, again, a constant revelation, a, a living and active revelation, as mentioned in Hebrews 4 and 12. We get to have a relationship with God in the person of Jesus Christ. We can walk with him. We can talk with him. We can fellowship with him. Unlike what they had in the Old Testament where they just, they went in and they made these, they did these sacrifices and did these ceremonies and the prophets would sometimes communicate to them uh, uh, little bits about who God is. We get, to, we get to have a full picture of who he is through Christ it is, a, it is a shame sometimes to know what we have in the person of Jesus Christ and, to, and, and, and his word and, to, and, to, and then to evaluate how much energy and time we spend digging into it. I mean, you imagine in the Old Testament, they got little, they got little pictures, little, little, little lights shining through the clouds, and they had to embrace that every day. I mean, they, they set aside hours and minutes and that was all structured so that they made sure that they had that little peak. And here we get to walk outside and we see the full array of the sun. We get to walk inside and see the full array of the Son of God, the full expression, the full revelation of God himself. But it's easy sometimes to become stagnant, isn't it? To be unthankful for what we do have. So Jesus Christ is a better revelation. The Bible tells us back in Exodus 33 when Moses asked to see the expression, when Moses asked to see God's glory, God told him, you cannot see my glory. You cannot see a full display of my glory. I will show you the hinder parts, but you cannot see a full display of my glory because you will die. Yet we are, yet we are told in the New Testament in Colossians 1 and also in 2 Corinthians 4, that Jesus Christ is the full expression of the glory of God. And we get to see that. We get to see that daily through our relationship, through our walk with him, and ultimately through his word. In the remainder of chapter number one, and we're going to spend a few weeks on the rest of this chapter, unpacking and unfolding the fact that Jesus Christ is better than the angels that's really the, the remainder of this chapter. And, and even in the chapter number two, you have the um, unfolding of the fact that Jesus Christ is better than the angels. He's not only a better revelation of God, but he's, he's better than the angels. So there's a comparison made in the, in, the, in the remainder of chapter number one and also in the chapter number two of, of Jesus Christ being better than the angels. So that we can see the significance of Christ in relation to um, the significance of the angels and, and what their role is and things of that nature. The reason this comparison is made uh, in this passage of scripture is because of how the Jewish people, remember this is written to the Jewish people, because of how significant angels were to the Jewish people, especially in relation to the law and the, the ministry that the angels carried out in the Old Testament and the ministry that Jesus Christ carries out in the New Testament. John MacArthur says this, most Jews believe that angels were very important in the Old Testament. 
They esteemed these creatures as the highest beings next to God. They believed that God was surrounded by angels and that the angels were the instruments of bringing his word to men and of the working out of his will in the universe. This is how the Jewish people viewed angels. Matthew Henry says it this way, many Jews had a superstition or idolatrous respect for angels because they had received the law and other tidings of the divine will by these ministers. They looked upon them as mediators between God and man, and some went as far as to pay them a kind of religious homage or worship. For the Jewish people, when you go back to Genesis chapter number one and verse 26, where the scripture says that God created men, God created man in his image or in their image, he created he, he them. There's a plural term that is used there to describe the fact that it's not just one. It's, there's a, there was a council. Let us make man in our image. And for the Jewish people, they believe that Jesus Christ or that God was counseling with the angels, that they were a part of that, of that council and that they were referring to, for many of them, that the spiritual makeup of these of these, of man. And we know that according to our understanding of scripture and interpretation of that text that we're talking, he's talking about the Trinity, God in three persons, one God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and that they were counseling together, making man in their image. For the Jewish people, the law was that which came through the angels, if you go back in your Bibles, if you want to join me in the book of Acts, in the book of Acts, chapter number seven, in verse 51, the Bible says, you stiff-necked people, speaking again to the Jews, uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit. As your fathers did, so do you. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who announced beforehand the coming of the righteous one, or Jesus Christ, whom you have now betrayed and murdered, you who received the law as delivered by the angels and did not keep it. And then in Galatians 3 and verse number 19, we see the same thing. Why then the law? It was added because of transgression until the offspring should come to whom the promise had been made, and it was put in place, the law was put in place by or through the angels as the mediator or as a mediator. So we see the significance in the scriptures for the Jewish people, even uh, the uh, biblical significance of these angelic beings. It gets to the place where in Colossians 2 and verse number 18, as well as in Revelation chapter number 22, there is a warning given to both of these groups of people against the idea of worshiping angels. So it, so it had elevated, they had been elevated, they were ministers of Christ, they were ministers of the law, they were very significant in God's economy. We don't want to minimize angels in this situation. We want to understand something about this, and this is really kind of the flow of, of, of my sermon this morning. My plan is not to really distinguish angels this morning from Christ, but more I want to give you a picture of what angels were about. 
It's not always, we have this mentality, I think, that when we want to make a comparison between two things, what our, I think, human nature is, is we, we seek to minimize the lesser in, in a way of maximizing the greater, right? Does that make sense? Okay. What the Lord is going to do in this context, he's going to maximize the lesser so that he can maximize the greater, in other words, if I'm greater than something that is great, if I'm greater than something that is significant, if I'm greater than something that is important, then I'm, then I'm even greater than being greater than something that is insignificant or unimportant. So what we're going to see in this text and, and how the Lord flows through this text is not to minimize angelic beings, but to maximize angelic beings in effect to maximize Jesus Christ because he is better than they are. So we can look at the, the, the accomplishments of, of, the, of the angels and they were significant in ministering the, the, the law in the Old Testament which was very important in bringing people to Jesus. Galatians tells us that the law was given as a schoolmaster to bring people to Christ. So we don't want to minimize the significance of angels. We want to maximize who they are, maximize what they did in effect, then maximizing who Jesus Christ is. And not just maximizing who Jesus Christ is, but truly maximizing what Jesus Christ did. When you think about the idea of angels in the context of Hebrews and in the context of chapter 1 and 2, the main emphasis is what Jesus Christ accomplished. It's about the works. The first three chapters, is the first three verses are all about him revealing. It's about the word of Christ. It's about what he speaks, what he communicates. That he, he talks to us through his word. And he's a better communicator, right? Jesus is a better communicator of truth than the Old Testament prophets, than the Old Testament sacraments and sacrifices and ceremonies. He is, he is better than that. But what he's dealing with in these, in these next verses is Jesus is a better worker. He's a better laborer. He's a better accomplisher of things than those who are very significant in accomplishing things. And there's no one better at accomplishing things than the angels. So we want to unpack this just, just briefly this morning on, on, on their significance and then Next week, or two weeks, we're going to distinguish how Jesus is better than they are. How Jesus is more significant, how Jesus is more important, how Jesus did more, accomplished more, and, and in effect became better than they were. So let's look together this morning at four thoughts um, to understand angels a little bit and, and a little bit to understand Christ. The first thing that I want you to see is is it begins actually half of a, ver a verse prior to where we started this morning. So join me in verse 3, if you would, and the middle of it. The first point is becoming better than angels. Becoming better than angels. And remember, the relation here is to the work that angels accomplished versus the work that Jesus Christ accomplished. Now, the work that angels do versus the work that Jesus Christ does. And we'll see that throughout the text. The Bible says in the middle of verse number three, after making purification for sins, okay, just underline, mark that. That's the greatest work that Jesus Christ ever accomplished. 
The fact that he paid the full price for our sins, that is truly the essence of Jesus Christ's earthly existence. That is the significance of Jesus Christ's earthly existence, that he came to die for our sins. The very reason why Jesus Christ, God the Son, left heaven's throne is to come to this earth and to die in our place. To take on our sins, to pay the satisfying full price for those sins so that we might be saved. That is the greatest work that any man has ever done. Greater love hath no man than this, than a man lay down his life for his friends. That is the work that we look to to have hope in this life. It is the work that we look to to have hope in the next life. We know that we have, we have been made acceptable before God based upon the finished work of Jesus Christ, that he made purification for sins. If you go to Hebrews chapter number 10, we won't go there, but 8, 9, and 10, the Bible says that he made one sacrifice for all of our sins, past present and future sins. There's nothing that a believer can ever do that hasn't been, that God, that Jesus Christ has not satisfied God's wrath towards. This is the wonderful work of our Savior. This is the great work of Christ. The Bible says, after making purification of sins, in other words, this this is something that has been accomplished. This is a work that has been done After making purification of sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. And here's where I want you to look at our first point. He says, having become, okay, this is a term that describes something happening because something has happened. In other words, this is not a term that describes uh, something being created with this great significance, but it's a term that describes an event or a process of growing or growth that brings us to this point of being significant and being maximized. This is not referring to Jesus Christ being uh, birthed by Mary, but more the works of Christ have brought him to this great significance or this great importance. The Greek word is genomai. It means to come to pass, to be made, or to become. It's used in several passages of scripture. Let me just read a few to you that help you understand it. It says in Matthew 5 and verse 18, for truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, here's an event that's going to take place, until heaven and earth pass away, not one iota nor a jot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Matthew 1:22 says, all this took place to fulfill the Lord, what the Lord had spoken by the prophets. In other words, all of this stuff takes place in order to bring us to this point or to this place. This is the idea of becoming. Matthew 11, verse 1, when Jesus had finished instructing his disciples, his 12 disciples, he went on from there to teach and preach in their cities. Again, this idea, the same term, genomai, is used here, finished, fulfill, and accomplished. Something happens that brings about the status of this person. 
for Jesus Christ, it's very clear that it is the death and resurrection of Christ that brings about this very significant status. He is exalted because of, he is exalted, and we'll look at this next week, because he is the son of God, but, but beyond that, he is exalted for the work that he accomplished on behalf of mankind. This is the comparison of him to the angels. Go, go with me to chapter number two of Hebrews real quick. Watch what he says here in verse number six. I'm gonna start in the middle. I'll just start at the beginning. He has been, he, it has been testified somewhere. What is man that you are mindful of him or the son of man that you care for him? You made him for a little while lower than the angels. You have crowned him with, with glory and honor, putting everything in subjection under his feet. Now in putting everything in subjection to him, he left nothing outside of his control. At present, we do not see everything in subjection to him, but we see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels. Okay, so we see him who was made lower than the angels. So when he was, when he was born, he was born lower than the angels. Okay? Lower than the angels, mankind born into to, to a human nature, born lower than the angels, but he was born lower than the angels for a time. It says that the, the latter of that person, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of his suffering and death, so by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. So when he entered into the world, he was, he was made a little lower than the angels. It doesn't imply that he was created. It implies that he was born into this world lower than the angels. But because of the works that he accomplished, because of the things that he did, he inherited, is what the term used in verse number um, four, he inherited a better name than the angels. He inherited a better position. He became better than they were. You guys are familiar with what the scripture tells us in the book of Philippians, chapter number two, in verse number five. He says, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of a man. There it is. That's lower than the angels. He was born in the likeness of man, and he was found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Therefore, okay, because of the work that Jesus Christ accomplished in the cross, therefore God hath highly exalted him and bestowed upon him a name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So it is a merited honor that he is receiving. This excellence, this significance is something that Jesus Christ earned based upon the works that he accomplished on our behalf. He became better than the angels because of what he accomplished. When you think about for a moment 
all of the things that the angels accomplish. And the angels serve us. They're there uh, each day. The Bible says at the end of this chapter that they're caring for, serving the, those who are going to inherit eternal life or those who are going to inherit salvation. So angels are, are there and they're, they're working, they're ministering on our behalf. But what you want to remember is, is that Jesus Christ's ministry on our behalf is more significant than angels' ministries on our behalf. It's very easy to get caught up in what angels do for us because oftentimes what angels do for us is tangible, it's touchable, it's the things that we need in life. The things that Jesus Christ did for us are spiritual, they are eternal, they are salvific. Jesus Christ sends the angels to take care of our physical needs. Jesus Christ takes care of our spiritual needs. Jesus Christ takes care of the things that matter. And angels are his ministers, becoming better than the angels. Number two, what does it mean to be better than the angels? What do the scriptures mean when they say that he um, in, in verse number four, having become as much superior, or another word for that is better than the angels, as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. What, what does this mean? This term that is used here, again, it, does not, it is not meant to minimize the significance of the things that angels do. It's not meant to minimize the significance of what they accomplish the emphasis of this word is that what Jesus Christ accomplished is more useful or more excellent or superior or more conducive to what our needs are. This is a, this is a higher accomplishment. When we think about the, the roots of our needs, the depths of our needs, Jesus Christ is able to accomplish or, or satisfy a greater need than angels are able to satisfy. Matter of fact, for most of us in life, when we, when we look at needs, we look at things that we can touch and feel. We look at, we look at external things, right? It's, it's rare that we actually reach down beyond the external and reach down into the spiritual and find out what is truly going on in this situation or this scenario. It is Jesus that satisfies those needs. He's more conducive to our needs, Angels are good. It's not describing angels as being bad. The satisfaction and the help and the encouragement that we need throughout the day as, we, as, we, as they minister to us and minister for us, those things are not insignificant. But what's being said here is that Jesus Christ is more significant. He, he is more useful to, to satisfy and accomplish the, the deeper needs that we have. And we all have deep needs. We all have, we all have great difficulties. We all have great hardships. And again, we often minimize those hardships to the external, to what we feel, to what we see, to what we experience. But it's rare that we actually reach down to find out what's going on internally. What's going on spiritually? What, is the, what are the challenges that I'm facing right now in the depths of my soul? Listen to me, folks. Angels can't satisfy the depths of your soul's needs. Only Jesus can. Angels can't accomplish your spiritual needs. They can't satisfy the things that only Jesus Christ 
can satisfy. Again, this is not meant to minimize the angels, but meant to show Jesus Christ as better, as more appropriate for what our true needs are. He is better in that way. This term that's used here, it's used 18 times in the New Testament and 13 of those times it's used in the book of Hebrews. He's better, than the, he's better than the Old Testament prophets. He's better than the Old Testament sacrifices. He's, he's better than the Old Testament um, ceremonies. He's better than the Old Testament priest. He's better than all of these things. What does it mean? It doesn't mean that the Old Testament priests were insignificant. It doesn't mean that the Old Testament sacrifices were insignificant. It doesn't mean that the Old Testament ceremonies were insignificant. What it means is this, that Jesus Christ accomplished is more. He digs deeper. He goes further than what all of those things can do. It's like running a race. If the goal of running a race is to win, then it's better to run than to walk. Walking will get you to the end of the race, but running will help you win the race. There are things spiritually that walking we can do. We can do the ceremonies and we can do the sacrifices and we can do those things, but it's just walking. You don't win the race by walking. Jesus Christ wins the race for us. If our goal in life is to understand the gospel, to know God, and to have eternal life, it is better to be a follower of Jesus than to be a follower of of the angels. The Bible tells us in John 17 and verse three, and this is life eternal, that they might know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. And then you guys are familiar with John 14, six, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father lest they come through me. Jesus Christ takes us further Jesus Christ accomplishes more. Doesn't mean that the angels don't accomplish significant things, but they cannot get you to the goal. In the same way that when Jesus, when the angels introduced the law or were, were, were mediators of the law, the law could never bring a person to salvation, but Jesus Christ could. The law was meant to bring you to Christ, not to cause you not to bring about salvation. Jesus is meant to bring about salvation. I think sometimes it's easy to get caught up in either in one of two dangers, one of two pitfalls, or one of two ditches on one side of the road or the other. The one is is where we where it, you know picture a picture a race you know where they pass the baton off right. What's that called? A relay, right? I think the idea in the Christian life is is we we just run past the the next baton pass. We just run past them and we just keep on going. That baton pass has to take place. It's important to the winning of the race. Or sometimes we pass the baton off and then we start to minimize the person who carried the baton there. Both of those are dangers. Carrying the baton, what the law did and what the angels did is significant. Carrying the baton to Jesus, carrying us to Jesus. Those are significant things, but that doesn't get us to the goal. Who gets us to the goal? Jesus does. We can't stop at the third leg of the race. We have to finish the race. And when we finish the race, we praise whom? 
We praise Jesus. We praise Jesus because he's better than all other things. Better. He's better. He gets us. He goes deeper. He gets us further. He brings us to the finish line and the goal. Go on with me down in verse number nine. The third thought this morning is is that the angels are colleagues, or Jesus Christ is a colleague of the angels. Jesus Christ is not in option. Jesus Christ is not in opposition to the angels, nor are the angels in opposition to Jesus Christ. They are working together to accomplish the same task. He says in verse number nine, "You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you." Again, he's speaking to Jesus. He's saying, therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions. He refers to to the angels as companions of Jesus Christ. And this word simply means a partner, a a partaker, one, one who shares in something. One who shares in, in the process, one who shares in the journey. These angels are important, they're significant, they're, they're ministers of Christ. They're ministers for Christ. It's like what we have today, and I know we're not angels. Amen. (laughs) Right? The Bible does say in Hebrews that be careful when you entertain people because you might be entertaining angels unaware. So there is is that picture. And I know that we're not angels, and amen. But at the same time, we're ministers for Christ. How many of you believe it's important to share the gospel with somebody if they're going to be saved? It is important, isn't it? It's very significant. It's not significant because of you sharing the gospel with that person, but it's significant because God has ordained that as the means by which people come to salvation in Christ. The ultimate honor goes to Christ, not to the one who shares the gospel with the individual. But we are working with him. We are partnering with him just like the angels did. They are partnering with Christ. They are partaking in the process and this term is translated in the, in the New Testament uh, as partners, companions, participants, participants, or somebody who shares in this process. Somebody who shares in this journey. These angels are sharing in the journey in the, in the sense of bringing people through the, through the law to Christ. Christ is the one who has accomplished all things for their salvation. But angels are not insignificant in the journey, nor are ministers. It's, it's interesting, if you look down in verse number seven, he says he, gives, he makes his angels wins, and then it says, and then it uses a completely different word, not describing angels, but now he says Ministers. He makes this connection to the idea of, of angels carrying out tasks for him and ministers carrying out tasks for him. Neither one of them are minimized in this text, but Jesus is better. Jesus is always better because angels or ministers can do nothing to save somebody's soul. But Jesus Christ has done everything. The Apostle Paul even says it this way in Galatians chapter number one. He says, if I or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel to you than that which you have received, let them be accursed. 
He shows the insignificance both of man and of angels in in relation to what Jesus Christ can accomplish for us and and, in us and through us. The danger that we face, again, we see him as the colleague of the Lord. The danger that we face is when we begin to to, um, worship the means by which God is accomplishing his purposes. The danger is when we begin to exalt or honor the means by which and through which God is accomplishing his plans. This is not just related to angels, but it's also related to to human beings. It can be related to pastors. It can be related to elders or deacons or ministers in in your life. When you you help somebody, you do not want to help somebody that, that then honors you. You're just a means, a conduit by which God is accomplishing his purposes. I remember a story of a missionary friend who went to China to be a missionary. And while he was in China, he went to this small tribe. And they went in there, and they began to feed the people, and they began to give them all of their, just basically supply their physical needs. This was a very poor culture in this, in this community in China. So they, the Chinese people created this name. They began to call these people by this name. And these were American people. They didn't understand Chinese that well, so they didn't really know what the name meant. So when they came back to the States, they began to ask people, you know, this is what they were calling us. And, and the, the people that they asked the question began to caution them because they said, they're calling you white God. Because they were seeing the, they were seeing the means by which God was accomplishing taking care of their needs as God. And it doesn't matter whether it's angels or whether it's men or whatever it is. It's not meant to exalt us or to exalt them. It's always meant to exalt the source. It's always meant to exalt God. James 1.17 says, Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and cometh down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. Every good thing that we have comes from God. And the means by which God chooses to deliver it to us is never going to be or ought to be the object of our worship. Never is meant to be the object of our worship. We know the third of the heavens or the angels were cast down out of heaven for that very reason, seeking to be exalted into the position of God. The Apostle Paul says it this way in 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 10. By the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace towards me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not me, but it was the grace of God that was in me. The Apostle Paul knew this. I'm a minister of Christ. It's not about me, but it's about Christ. I'm just a, I'm just a tool in Christ's toolbox. Uh, yeah, be the best hammer that you can be. But listen, it's not about the hammer. It's about the hand behind the hammer. Be the best screwdriver. Be the best wrench that you can possibly be for Jesus. That's what the Apostle Paul says. But listen, it's never meant to glorify the hammer. It's meant to glorify the hand that is behind the hammer. What is Jesus Christ doing with you? What is Jesus Christ doing through you? And who is being praised because of what you're, do, what you're doing? I've often thought of what the scripture says in Galatians 1. 
I think it's in Galatians 1. I'm going to turn there and probably show myself to be ignorant of where it's at. But Galatians 1 and um, towards the very end it says, I found it. (laughs) Verse 24, and they glorified God because of me. That's what the Apostle Paul says. And they glorified God because of me. All the things that the Apostle Paul went through, his conversion, all of those things, the miraculous things, they saw Paul's conversion, they saw Paul's new ministry, they, they saw Paul's testimony, the, the preaching that he did after being a persecutor of the church, and they did not glorify Paul, they glorified God. The danger sometimes in the Christian life is is we see the means by which God accomplishes his purposes as being the source by which God accomplishes his purpose. And that's not meant to be the case. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 4, 6, and 7, I have applied all these things to myself and Apollos for for your benefit, brothers, that you may learn by us not to go beyond what is written, that none of you may be puffed up in favor of one against another. For who sees anything different in you? What do you have that you did not receive? If then you received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? And the context is simply this. When you get something from God, undeserved and unearned, as a total merit of grace, why do you boast as if you somehow earned it? Why are you proud as if you did something to get it? So angels are colleagues of the Lord. They're partners with him in whatever he called. They're they're ministers for him in a very similar way that we are. Ministering to people around us and they're ministering to us. The last thing that we see in our text this morning about angels is what is their what is their responsibility or what is their role? He's going to give you just four really quick things about what their role is. Verse number six says this. And again, when he brings the firstborn into the world, he says, let all God's angels worship him. The first role of angels, the first responsibility or duty of an angel is to worship God. And the word worship here literally means to reverence to, to kiss the hand. I mean, you can look at the book of Revelation and other passages of Scripture in the Bible and you, you see this idea of worship, this idea of, of falling before, this idea of singing praises to a, a new song, a, a holy is the lamb. And you, you see these things all throughout the book of Revelation. This is what these angels were created to do. These angels are very, very significant in God's eyes. They are worshipers of God. They are the ones who are standing around his throne praising him. And yes, we will join in that for eternity, but for now, they are the main source of heavenly worship and praise. They are worshipers of God. They are ministers of God. He says down in verse number seven, of the angels, he says, he makes his angels winds and his ministers a flame of fire. And there's a lot of different sayings or interpretations of what this, may, what this means to be wind. The, the Greek word here is pneuma. It means spirit. Um, 
And we know that the angels are spirits and they can, they can by the uh, will of God, take upon human form. We see that back in the Old Testament on a number of occasions in which they manifest or speak in a, in a visible way to, to mankind. And so you, you could see them. this text is referring to them as messengers um, coming and delivering a message to us. You can see them as a comfort in the, in, the garden of, in the garden of Gethsemane where Jesus Christ was suffering as well as in the wilderness where Jesus Christ was suffering. There were angels that come and, and they ministered to him. We see the same idea in John 3 where the Holy Spirit is the, is the spirit that brings life, new birth. When we think of this idea of wind, we can think of a number of different things. When we think of the flame of fire, we think of Matthew 3, where the Lord says that he will baptize them in fire. This is the idea of sanctification, trials, um, the idea of fire being, 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 being passion and, and motivation, and being fired up about something. The angels are the, 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 angels are the, are the ministers of the Lord to bring about, to accomplish these things. And, and no matter how you interpret these two words specifically, here's the main emphasis of the text. The angels are ministers to do the Lord's work, to do the Lord's bidding. They have been sent out to accomplish his work whether it be in the wind or in the fire or whatever it might be in, they are sent out to accomplish the work of the Lord. And they're not to be worshiped. Verse number 14, it says, are they not all ministering spirits sent out to serve? They are servants, the last thought of this point. They are servants Serving those who are to inherit eternal life or salvation. The word servant here is the word in the Greek that we get the word deacon from. It's the idea of serving needs. Acts 6 and verse 1, it was used to talk about serving tables. Luke 10 and verse 40, the word is used about Martha becoming cumbered down with so much serving. This is what angels did. This is what angels do. Acts 11 and verse number 30, 30, 29, the word is used about sending relief to struggling people in Judea. 1 Corinthians 16, it's used to talk about Stephanus who had committed himself to caring for the saints. In 2 Corinthians 9, the term is used about the financial needs at the church of Jerusalem and, and wanting to send relief to them. In other words, the role of the angels is to minister to people. And listen, folks, the role that we have is to minister to people. That's what we've been called and placed to do. They're there to encourage and help us. They're there to stabilize us and to strengthen us and, and to be with us and to walk with us through this difficult struggle that we face. But we're also here in the same way for other people. God has put us here to accomplish that. We're, we're ministers. We're also servants. We're also uh, deacons, if you will, of the world around us, of the people around us, the people on your block. You're their deacon for the gospel. You're a minister of what God has given you. You're a, you're a, a delegate to, um, for the Lord. 
These angels that the Lord speaks of here in this um, first chapter of Hebrews, they're not insignificant. They're significant. They're just not as significant. They're not even close to reaching the level that the Lord is, the level that the Lord deserves to be worshiped. In closing, what I want to challenge you with is the caution that as we look to ministers for the Lord, and I'm not just talking about angels, I'm talking about any type of a minister for the Lord. As we look to any type of minister for the Lord, may we never allow that minister to take the place of the Lord. May we never allow a ministry, the idea of, of the sun being eclipsed, may we never as ministers or those who are following ministers, allow them to eclipse the Son of God. May we never allow them to stand in the place of the Son of God. Yes, we're to be thankful for them. The Bible says in everything, give thanks. We're to honor them to whom honor is due. But there's a difference between honoring somebody to whom honor is due and worshiping somebody whether it be angels or any other means by which God accomplishes his purposes. We must worship God and God alone for he is the cause of every blessing that we have. He may not be the one who delivers the gift to you, but I will tell you this, he is the cause of it. And because he is the cause of it, when we kneel down at night, we thank the Lord for what he has provided, for what he has given. We also can go deeper and find greater deliverance in Christ when we seek to understand that he is the source of all deliverance. So as we go home today, let us be mindful of the fact that angels are not insignificant They're co-laborers with the Lord. They're working with him. They're working for him to accomplish his work and his purposes. And they play a huge role in our daily lives. But let us also know, as we will discuss in two weeks, let us also embrace that Jesus Christ is truly the source of all blessing and he truly is the only one who is worthy of our worship. Let's pray together. Thank you, Lord for this day and for this uh, time that we have together to unpack your word. And Lord, help us to, to always seek to honor you and whatever um, you bring our way. Help us to be cautious and careful not to uh, worship the means by which you accomplish your plan. Help us as leaders never to be desiring of worship because we are the means by which you're accomplishing your plan. But Lord, may we all always point to Jesus Christ who is worthy of worship and worthy of praise and he alone is worthy. Thank you for the time that we had together this morning. May your word penetrate our hearts, change us for your glory. In Christ's name, amen. Lord bless you. You're dismissed.